The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Save our wildlife, save the environment, save our world. It all starts with a little knowledge. Welcome to Our Wild World with Ellie Weiss. There is so much that's being done and can be done with help from specialists and marginalized community groups to you. We'll discuss the future of Africa, the wildlife, and the people, and show you how it affects the entire planet. Now, here is Ellie Weiss from the Wild Eyes Foundation. Good morning and welcome to Our Wild World. Right now we are facing historic times at the 17th Convention of Parties to the Convention on International Trade in Endangered Fauna and Flora. And decisions are being made for the future of Africa's rhino. They are literally on the table. My guests today are Lorinda Hearn of the Rhino Rescue Project, the organization that pioneered infusing rhino horn with toxins, and Jamie Joseph, activist and journalist from Saving the Wild, whose focus is corruption in South Africa and the legal system, and Lorraine Liebenberg, founder of Save Our Rhino, a powerful social media presence and clearinghouse for rhino information, and Damien Mander of the International Anti-Poaching Foundation. Today, we have an outstanding opportunity to be speaking with all of you in one room at the same time. And for the sake of our listeners, let's begin with a little introduction from each of you. Lorinda, let's start with you. Hi, Ellie, and, and thanks for having me on, on, on the show. Um, as you quite rightly mentioned, uh, I started Rhino Rescue Project six years ago. Um, due to a poaching on my family's reserve, uh, we felt the need to do something proactive that would help us to keep rhinos alive versus the reactive measures that were available to us at the time that would only really become useful once another animal was dead. And that's really where the, uh, the concept for, for Rhino Rescue Project was, was born. From the, the scuttlebutt going across the social media, infusing rhino horn with toxins brought up a whole host of other issues. So we're going to get more into that. Next we have Jamie Joseph. Hi, Jamie. Hi. So, so I primarily uh, investigate, expose, and eradicate corruption enabling rhino poaching. Uh, I suppose because after a couple years of Working on the poaching crisis, I realized that if you lose the war on corruption, you lose the war on everything. Well, that is a subject right there in itself, so we're going to delve into that uh, a little bit further. And then we have Lorraine Liebenberg. Hi, Lorraine. Hi, Ellie. Um, Save Rhino is the first and the oldest um, rhino group to be formed on, on social media. We educate... We investigate, we network with different people, we endorse various uh, organizations which we've uh, investigated properly, but we are a hub for information. 
Excellent. And next we have our good friend, Damien Mander. Hi, Damien. Ali, darling, it is so good to be here talking with you again. Absolutely. For our uh, very dedicated listeners. I'm getting a lot of rolled eyes here in the studio. Um, so I founded the International Anti-Poaching Foundation in 2009, uh, designed to be the special forces of conservation. So we go into some of the hardest hit areas where animals are being targeted by paramilitary activities and uh, provide a level of, level of protection for them. Uh, and then remobilize more uh, regular organizations that can come in and, and take control so we can move on to the next most uh, desperate place. Well, as you can see, listener, or here, listeners, we have quite the lineup of conversation today from a variety of aspects, all boots on the ground and dealing with rhino and uh, the poaching crisis. So this is a really important, important episode, so really listen up. Three hours right outside the conference center in Johannesburg, a rhino was poached. This as the delegates contemplate the trade in rhino horn. So we have a lot to cover in uh, a rather short time, so let's jump in. Lorinda, let's start with you and some of the work you're doing, and let's talk about the infusion process. Uh, well, any what what we really had in mind when we started with horn infusions was looking for ways to devalue rhino horns. So, in other words, to render the the horns of live rhinos commercially useless. Um, and infusion just happened to be the least invasive way that we could accomplish that pioneering work. No one had ever done anything like it before, and uh, we needed to to proceed in a way that we were first and foremost certain would not do any harm to the animal, and then secondly, that would act as a, as a deterrent to, to poachers. That that was, was, was the hope. So I have a question right off the bat. This infused toxin, we understand it's not dangerous to the rhino. Is it dangerous to people? The toxins that we used initially were depot ectoparasiticides, so typically products that are 100% safe for use on animals, but obviously as all toxins are, um, un- unsafe for humans to either handle or consume. So you could compare it very much to um, something that you would use at home on your pets uh, to, to treat them against ticks and fleas and other parasites that occur on, on the skin. Obviously dosage dependent, um, you would then uh, experience symptoms if you were to handle or to consume such a rhino horn. Okay, I remember when I first heard of this project and what you were doing that there was some issues about danger to humans and you needed to put up signage. What did that have to happen and if so then what's the point and how do how does it deter if you have to warn people? Damien, I'm sure you can speak about this a bit more too. But Lorinda, do you have to warn people that they're ingesting toxic rhino horn? Is it colored? Is it different? Visually? Yeah. You absolutely have to warn people that they might be in danger of of ingesting treated rhino horn. Look, we're not vigilantes that are out to do end consumers harm. Our main goal is to stop the rhino from dying in the first place. Um, if if the rhino is poached and the and the treated horn makes it to the market, that's essentially one rhino that we failed to to help. So warnings warning signs up on perimeter fences are extremely important. Visual markers on the horns, if if that's at all possible, um, is extremely important. We want to stop people from from wanting to to ingest or use these rhino horns, and uh, and the best way to do that is to actually warn them uh, that the horns are treated. 
also from a legal perspective, if uh, if you don't do due diligence and, and warn consumers that they could potentially be at risk if they were to consume such horns, then you could be in a in a in a spot of bother. So so that was absolutely never our goal to mislead anyone into thinking that they were they were consuming untreated and safe horns. Well put. I like that. A spot of bother. So you've got signage and warnings on the ground. Perhaps you'll have to put a a don't kill me sign on the rhino itself, that international symbol for no. But um, does this follow through in terms of warning happen at the end user market, Vietnam, China, Asia? What we found um, are, are two important points that I want to raise. In terms of actually warning local communities where many poachers come from that, uh, that horns are treated, the best way to do that is to involve as many local community members in the treatments as you can. And normally in 90% of poaching incidents, um, it's not poachers that come from outside, it's people in the vicinity that actually come onto a property and poach the animals there. So by having as many of these people witness procedures, they go and via... The, what we would refer to as the bush telegraph and the rest of the world would probably call the grapevine, they go and spread the word for you that these horns on this property are, are unsafe for human consumption or use and that these animals are, are to be avoided. Secondly, um, we embarked on a, on a very big advertising campaign for the first time in 2015 with Ogilvy and Mather in Vietnam, um, because that was our problem, that, uh, that end users weren't aware of the fact that these treatments were being done. And with one very successful press event, we managed to reach um, a group of the, the top journalists in, in Vietnam with a readership of, on average, 70 million individuals. Um, and that was by far the biggest exposure that we, that we have got in end user markets to date. That's excellent. I'm going to make a leap of a presumption here. Um, I'm going to presume that you're working with other organizations that do target both Vietnam and China, like Wild Aid or some of the other big organizations that are being represented at CITES. Absolutely. Um, collaboration is essential in this industry. Unfortunately, collaboration is something that uh, that very seldom happens. Uh, we are, many of us are, are completely fragmented, although we're supposed to be pulling in the same direction. So we do work with agencies like Wild Aid, Wild Act Vietnam, which works on, on ground level. Um, and, and we're obviously interested in, in working with anyone that shares, that shares our goals, and hence the people sitting around the table this evening, um, all of whom have the, same, have the same vision in mind for rhinos in South Africa. Excellent. And um, thank you for bringing up the importance of local communities. And I think this is a good point uh, for Damien to jump in. Damien, your work on the ground, you work just across the border in Mozambique and on the eastern boundary of the Kruger. So in terms of what Lorinda was just telling us, do you see an effect? And have you encountered any of the treated rhino? Uh, we have not encountered any of the uh, treated rhino in the areas where we're operating. Uh, I mean, when we went into Mozambique, we had two objectives. One was to uh, stop poachers from entering Kruger National Park, uh, in particularly the southern section, which is which is home to 70% uh, of Kruger's rhino. Uh, and Kruger has up to 40% of the, the, the world's rhino. Uh, you know, the, the, the rhino that are left on this planet are in this, this high concentration uh, in that southern section. That was the first objective. Second objective was to create and maintain a safe uh, and viable habitat for rhino to, to re-exist back in Mozambique. Uh, and we, we've been able to achieve that. Um, the, the whole community side that you talk about is, uh, is very diffi difficult. It's above my pay grade. 
And look, I go to work every day knowing that what I do is not the answer. It's, it's our job is to stop the hemorrhaging, is to, to actually buy time for the people that are looking at these different solutions, these much higher level solutions, whether it be the communities, whether it be demand reduction. Uh, we just, if we don't, if we don't actually go out there and stop the hemorrhaging, stop that, that, you know, this beast from bleeding out, there's going to be nothing left. Uh, and look, to, to be perfectly honest, we don't know uh, how we're going to get this, this growing human population that's putting a more uh, determined level of pressure on a, on a decreasing natural resource base. We don't know how we're going to get them to a point where they don't want to poach anymore. Uh, and I, I'd love to have a crystal ball and have that answer. But in the meantime, uh, the, the, the international community is going to become increasingly reliant on guys like me and organizations like the IAPF uh, and the skills we have to hold on to what we have left. And it's, a, it, it's, a, it's not a comfortable thing for a lot of people to, to, to sit back and swallow, particularly the international community that doesn't have to go out every day and patrol uh, in the bush and see what rangers see. And you know, it's, it, it's, a, it's a war out there. Rangers carry guns. Sometimes they shoot. Sometimes they're shot. The international community needs to understand this. Conservation now, first priority is law enforcement. Monitoring the demise of a species is not conservation. It's a tool that allows us to make better management decisions. The best management decision we can make at the moment is to accept we're fighting a war and to understand that rangers need to be capacitated the same way as our law enforcement uh, police officers are in our local communities, the same way our militaries are defending our national borders. So we're almost talking, thank you, Damien, that was excellent. And listeners, please go back and visit through our host page, Damien Mander's previous episodes, and you can learn a lot more about what he's saying. And then coming up soon is another episode with Lorraine Liebenberg, and we're dis- we'll be discussing Save Our Rhino. So today we're going to focus a little more on how all the people right now between my organization and all of your organizations, as uh, Lorinda said, we can work together and raise awareness through my audience, my dear listeners here. So this is really important. So a point I wanted to bring up is we're almost talking about two slightly different, I'm going to use the phrase, populations of rhino. It's all the same species that we're talking about, two different species, black and white. I think in South Africa, it is the southern white rhino. and um, But there are those that are privately owned, such as Lorinda. You have a, a reserve and you own rhino. And then we are talking about the free-ranging ones that Damien uh, is working towards in the Kruger. So from what I understand, in the majority of rhino in South Africa are privately owned, excluding those ones that are free-ranging in the Kruger. So I can understand why, Damien, you might not have encountered treated horn. So, Lorinda, let's go back to you. And where are the poachers coming in to the private reserves that they would not run in to teams such as IAPF? Okay, just to, just to correct you, the the majority of rhinos in South Africa are still in, in state-owned reserves, national parks, the largest population being in the Kruger National Park. About 25% of all rhinos in South Africa are in private, are in private hands. Um, to, to answer your question specifically, where, where poachers get into these properties and how, as I mentioned before, they often work on inside information. And what we found is that, um, at least on, on private reserves, the poaching syndicates tend to be extremely sophisticated. Um, in the poaching incident that we had in 2010, uh, the poachers came in with a helicopter and darted the animal from the air, much like a veterinarian would do. And they were in and out of the reserve in less than 30 minutes. So, so 
they have various ways of, of, of getting in, into and out, out of properties. Um, and it, it varies greatly from, from reserve to reserve. But many reserves can't afford the kind of security that people like Damien um, and his organization provide. Um, Full-time specialized anti-poaching units um, come at a cost. And many private rhino owners simply can't afford that. And right there is a very sticky wicket. So, um, unfortunately, we have to cut to a short break right now. Stick with us because this conversation is just heating up. We'll be right back. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big. Scary. Beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. And welcome back. This is Ellie Weiss in Our Wild World. And we have a compilation of people on the other end of my Skype headphone. Lorraine Liebenberg, Lorinda Hearn, Jamie Joseph, and Damien Mander. And we are talking about what is going on right now in the fate of rhinos in a very real sense. Um, in the first section, if you're just joining us, Lorinda Hearn uh, with Rhino Rescue Project works on infusing rhino horn with toxins to protect the animal from being poached. Damien Mander is boots on the ground, keeping the rhino from being killed on that border between Mozambique and Kruger. So now... That first section was a great lead-in. And Jamie, um, you're, you deal a lot with uncovering and exposing the corruption that is going on between um, a network of 
the, the judicial network and exposing the magistrates, the lawyers, and the police. So tell us a little bit how all this fits together. All right. So at the moment, we're looking at a conviction rate for rhino poaching in South Africa in 15%. So basically, we're not acting as a deterrent. Um, and I just believe that if we, we're going to honor the rangers and police, we should honor them with justice. So um, basically, you've got these syndicates that are uh, not operating, the kingpins that don't operate in a vacuum. Uh, so what tends to happen is poachers get arrested and then they go to court and either just never makes it to trial or the poacher just gets a, a fine. Um, the problem with these fines is uh, some of the times if there is corruption involved, the poacher knows that he's going to get off with a fine instead of a jail time of like 7 to you know, 20 plus years. So the first thing he does when he's on bail, and bail could be as low as like 300 rand, 500 rand, so that's $20, $50. He'll go and kill another rhino. Just to pay the to pay, fee. To pay off the debt to the kingpin and to pay off the corruption in the court. So I started looking at patterns and um, I, I started finding that whenever a certain magistrate and a certain defense attorney was in the room together, um, these uh, even Mozambicans without ID were getting 300 rand, 500 rand bail. And listeners, you can find a lot more of what Jamie has done and the expose she's written on her website and blog, savethewild.org. Savingthewild.com. I'm sorry, savingthewild.com. And uh, definitely go read that because there's some fascinating, astonishing information there. So, Jamie, how far up and down the line, and perhaps, Lorinda, you can uh, pipe in here and or Lorraine, uh, how far up and down the line does this collusion and uh, corruption go it, through the government? Yeah, I'll have to be honest with you. Like What people see of my work is probably about 5% of what I do. So it's, it's quite a difficult question to answer. But right now, um, as far as my work that's visible, I'm, I'm working on this, this situation with this kingpin, um, alleged rhino approaching kingpin of Zululand, a, a man called Dumisani Gwala. So um, according to a spokesperson who was responsible for the operation of the arrest, he was arrested in December 2014 for attempted murder and dealing in rhino horn. Um, then he was given like 10,000 rand bail. So to put that into perspective, that's like 640 US dollars. And so the people that I've been exposing are linked to his syndicate. So he's up for trial at the moment. That starts on the 19th of September. So if you, see, if you, go, to other, if you go to my website, savingthewild.com, or if you look at the hashtag convict guala rhino kingpin, you'll see a whole spread of stories that I've written linking to this one person. Okay, great. So, Jamie, how does the government feel about corruption? If we all know this is happening and we're seeing it all over social media and the news, why isn't the government doing anything about it? It's a very good question. So, when I published my first expose in 28th of January, I, I wrote a story called uh, Rhino Poaching Kingpin and the Magistrate that Keeps Him Out of Jail. I had a blacklist. And I took it to the minister, Minister Malewa. And this wasn't really, didn't seem very interesting to her chief of staff or to her office. You know, I took a lot of pleading and um, chasing up and chasing up until eventually I was granted a meeting on the 3rd of March. And then the meeting was cancelled at the last minute. So 
no meeting was then arranged after that. And it, it was only after the public protector of South Africa, Advocate Tuli Madoncella, met with me on the 10th of April. And I presented my evidence to her. And then she opened up a preliminary investigation into corruption enabling rhino poaching. Only then, suddenly, I get this email telling me that the minister wants to see you this evening. That leads me, this goes back all the way to Julian Rademeyer's expose, Killing for Profit, a few years ago now. In there, he named the kingpins. So we know who they are. Why is it that the so-called argument in support that we can't get to them because they're so well isolated, um, protected? I, I don't understand. If we know who they are and what you just said, it sounds like the South African government is literally turning a blind eye. They don't want to talk about it. Can I chip in here? Yeah, Absolutely. Ellie? Corruption in South Africa is widespread. It's not just in the environmental sector. It's in all sectors of government. And it has been talked about, spoken about, written about, and we have got corrupt officials spread throughout the government who are sitting nicely in their jobs and nothing gets done. Nothing gets done. They are being protected. So it's a massive, massive problem. We are fighting corruption and crime. That is what is killing our rhinos. That is killing our wildlife. And until we go all the way to the top and get rid of the junk that is ruling this country, we are not going to get anywhere. But I, I should actually just add to that. Um, the, the sad part, I think, which was, which was quite devastating for me, which I only realized after I, I did my first expose, was that uh, almost all the NGOs won't go near corruption. So we're not, when we say we're fighting corruption, there's just a few like, individuals out there that are fighting corruption. Like really, you, when, you, when you fight corruption, you stand alone. And I think that NGOs like, really need to find a space within their framework for corruption because there is so much money that's being poured into this bottomless pit. And I totally agree, like Damien, you know, you need boots on the ground, you know, you've got to stop the, the, blood, you know, the blood flow, you've got to hold the line, you know, until the demand is stopped in Asia because that's all we can do, really, is hold the line. Ellie, if, if I could pipe up here just to latch on to what Jamie said earlier, um, it's not an isolated incident where the, the Department of Environmental Affairs just shows a, a total lack of interest in, in talking about or engaging about the issue. Um, I approached them on no less than 41 separate occasions over a three-month period of time, just trying to make them aware of the seriousness of this problem and the interventions that they could potentially be pursuing, um, instead of claiming in every press release as they do that they've tried everything and, and nothing is working, um, to actually seriously in, in investigate some of these options. And to date, I have not even received the courtesy of, of a response. I'm, I'm just mind-boggled. I'm astonished. I, I don't, the world is totally paying attention to this. I'd say in the court of public opinion, we have to stop killing Rhino before they're all gone. We have boots on the ground with Damien. We have uh, the non-lethal, at least to Rhino, methods that Lorinda is putting in. We have Lorraine, who is an up-to-the-minute resource for all things Rhino. And we have Jamie exposing what's going on. I just don't understand how this can remain in the dark. And you brought in the, 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 the concept of NGOs. 
not wanting to deal with this problem. So how do we fight this? How do we get the NGOs involved to wake up the government and just say this does will not stand anymore? Look, to go back to what Lorinda said before, we, we're talking, and this is this is. I mean, I'm a, I'm a foreigner in conservation. I'm a foreigner in in Africa. I'm a foreigner in South Africa. But to come here as a foreigner and see how uh, fragmented this industry is—a million people trying to do a million different things—no problem in history has ever been solved that way. And I think if there's enough resources that are being pumped into this, there's uh, what, what what we lack is a lack of uh, uh, collaboration, a lack of political will. And I think if we can get those two things going, then the boots on the ground stuff can actually relax, and because there's going to be enough top level uh, momentum happening uh, to get on top of this problem. So it, it's very simple. There's, an, there's enough. There's enough resources. All you need to do is, is say, listen, we're, we're all fighting this together. We're not fighting each other. You centralize command. You list all your resources and you deploy the resources accurately through your central command to where your biggest threat is and where you can achieve your greatest results. That's very simple. Um, but it, it's not happening now. Everyone's got their own logo, their own their own mission, their own motto. Everyone wants to have their own say. Everyone's competing against a limited pool of funds, limited public, uh, public attention uh, and for projects. And uh, it, it's, it's not right. But in saying it's not right, I don't have an answer for that. Uh, I don't Do know. Do you think I don't know. all this... Competition for attention between NGOs, the public, people who have rhino, um, people who want to trade rhino, people who want to hunt and kill rhino um, for trophy versus for the horn. Do you think this is part of the problem of that it's just so convoluted and complex and coming from every direction that the South African government can't put it together and make a cohesive idea out of it all no no we're losing because of corruption okay this is not just isolated in south africa the big syndicates over here are run by the chinese this is big business in the world it's a global it's been run like a business the the, the syndicates it's huge it's huge it's huge and, and until it is tackled on a on a global level we are we are in trouble so how can we, outside of South Africa, bring pressure to bear? If we know who these kingpins are, they've been named. U.S. Fish and Wildlife knows who they are. Um, everybody in South Africa obviously knows who they are. Uh, in, on your website, uh, excuse me, your website and Facebook page, Lorraine, we know who they are. Jamie, you know who they are. Lorinda, you have experience of who they are. What can we in the rest of the world do? How do we focus our attention to the South African government to pay attention and sort this out? I, it might be a naive question, but what do we do? I don't think there's, uh, there's in terms of trying to influence uh, the, the South African government, I think you know, they're a stakeholder. What we need to do is look at the organizations that are having the biggest effect uh, and saving the most amount of rhino. And, and when I talk about rhino, it's not just about rhino, but it's everything that animal represents. Hardest animal in an ecosystem to protect. When we protect it, everything else is being looked after. Look at the organizations that are having big impact and invest in those organizations. Do your research. Don't just be swept up by some Facebook campaign or, or you know, what looks to be the, 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 you know, the, the, the flashiest organization on, on social media 
media on their website, do your research, dig a little bit deeper, speak to the people uh, in the field. Everyone's only a, a degree of separation away from from the other side of the world now, thanks to social media. So let's yeah, let tell people to do their do their research and and find out where they where they can get their best bang for their buck. Yeah, I totally agree with Damien there because it does look like like people seem to just throw their money at what you know whatever's cute and cuddly and. It's just not effective. And the truth, is Go the truth is there are. Go ahead. Sorry, Eddie. The truth is there are no silver bullet solutions. Uh, ultimately, it's a multi-pronged approach that's that's required, where you give animals multiple layers of protection, both proactive and reactive. That's that's the key. But once again, that goes back to to a level of cooperation being required. And it would appear that at this point in time, there's so many egos and so much politics in this industry that that kind of cooperation is almost impossible and the animals are bearing the brunt of it. And there's big money. I was just going to say that. Then it brings us to the money. are getting. There is big money in being involved in this arena and there are people making lots of money. I don't even know what to say. So um, let's just start. We've got two minutes. Who wants to jump in with a response? Damien. Well, thank you, Lorinda. Thank you. Can I, I say something about the po- political thing? The, we are supposed to be, we as a country, our government, who are supposed to be protecting our heritage, and not only of this country, but of the entire world for the future, should be the leader in putting pressure on the countries that are involved in this, putting pressure onto the consumer countries. And what are they doing? A little MOU here and a little MOU there, which is just a a sort of agreement on paper. There's nothing legal or binding in that. And we are signing trade documents with these countries, which is going to be good for bringing money into the country and exports and imports and nothing is said about the rhino. How does that work? Excellent um, point, Lorraine. Excellent point. Damien, you have a response to that? I mean, I'm just, just you know, banging, banging ideas around here. That I mean, that, that to me is, is sort of above my pay grade, but it's a lot of stuff that's been discussed here, trade or no trade, um, hunting or uh, pro-hunting or anti-hunting. And, uh, you know, one thing, one thing I, I stood up and said the other night, you know, there was, a, there was a room full of people, everyone there wanted the same thing. They wanted Rhino to survive, but the, the industry was fragmented into a million pieces and separated into pro-trade and anti-trade. And when I talk about trade, trade in, in, uh, in Rhino Horn. And, you know, sometimes as an industry, we just need to remember that the, the, the enemy is not sitting next to us. The enemy is out there. The enemy is carrying a, a heavy caliber rifle and he's hunting a rhino or hunting an elephant right now. The enemy is the guy who's taking these, these, these precious resources off the continent and selling them in Asia. Uh, the enemy is the person in Asia who's running these, these syndicates. And this is where we need to focus our attention. The, we, we need to stop bickering amongst ourselves and we need to focus our attention where it needs to be. And that is fighting the true enemy in this war. Thank you, Damien. So we covered a lot of territory just in this section, and we have a lot more to cover. Uh, Right now, we do need to cut to a break, so stick with us. As you can tell, this is a very hot topic, and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Wildlife. 
No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. And welcome back. This is Ellie Weiss, Our Wild World. And as you can tell, we're having a hot topic on Rhino today and so much information to cover. So I'm going to lead in with this next question. Uh, South Africa's Environment Minister has intimated that poaching of rhino, the rates have been reduced. Is she talking specifically about poaching in the Kruger, which Damien, you might be able to address, or is she also referring as a broad scale poaching on the private reserves or the state reserves where, Lorinda, you could talk about? And Lorraine, who wants yeah, I'll, to lead I'll off? I'll butt in there and, and just chat about Kruger. So 2010 to 2014, Kruger was seeing a plus or minus around 50, 55% increase in carcasses each year. Uh, last year, we had a 0.1% increase. And this year, uh, it will just come out of a, a briefing from General Johan Yosta, who's in charge of security for more rhino than any other person on this planet, a 23% decrease in Kruger National Park, the world's biggest concentration of, of rhino, world's biggest population. Decrease uh, in poaching or decrease in rhino? De- decrease in poaching. Okay, so thank this, you. This, what, what this has done, though, is, is, is it... It has pushed the problem elsewhere, but what we've seen is is a, a plateau. Uh, you know, some people argue argue uh, you know upwards or, or downwards of, of this plateau, but it, it's shown that we can take something that was spiraling out of control and we, we we can bring some sort of level of control to it. We can go to the place on the planet where rhinos are being targeted the most aggressively, aggressive, uh, and put systems in place that can that can start to protect those animals now. That may not appeal to everybody. People want to see, you know, we, we've stopped it completely uh, and shut it off. But I can tell you now, having just seen the, the, the report that's come out that's saying 
30% of Africa's savannah elephants have been decimated in the last seven years. If you want to come to me with a good story and say things have plateaued off or things are slightly declining, I'm going to fucking take it. You know why? Because as conservationists, as an industry, we're constantly bombarded with shit stories, constantly bombarded with, with negative facts uh, and figures where we're losing. And you know what? We, we, we go to work. The only thing that, that, that keeps us... Um, at work each day, gets us out of bed each morning, is knowing that if we didn't do it, the situation would be much worse. And you make a really good point there, Damien, because if we keep the hopeless message going, then that turns off the donors who should be doing their due diligence, as we discussed, of the best organizations that are making accomplishments. And if we get the message of hopelessness out there, why should anyone care? So, granted, this conversation has been um, very enlightening in that some governments don't seem to care that they're turning a blind eye. Um, the point that Damien was that we were talking about. So, the rhino poaching is is being pushed elsewhere. So that would mean the state reserves, not the Kruger, and private owners. So actually, this is, this is Lorinda Ely, but actually Jamie would be the best person to talk on that because much of the poaching has been shifted to KwaZulu-Natal where she's based. So, so you can say, you know, we don't want to put out too much bad news, but you know, you put out the bad news and you give a solution. So I say, right. Absolutely. Uh, you, correct. Maybe I'll just talk. So basically, Kruger's starting to stabilize, and the war's geographically shifting to KwaZulu-Natal, okay, where I'm based in Zululand. So it's going up, by, escalating by more than 20%. But at the same time, we know how to solve it. Okay, so we know what the problems are. You know, uh, corruption is, is the number one problem in, in KZN, like by far. But there's also vast tracts of land that, that's being left unprotected in, you know, in provincial parks. You know, there's, there's section ranges that haven't been replaced in months, and the head of security that hasn't been replaced in a year. Um, it, it's some, some very, very key positions need to be filled, and the justice system is failing us. So when a poacher gets arrested, you know, he, he can't be let off with a fine. Like, there's something that has to actually happen so that the law becomes a deterrent. And th- that side is improving. You know, since I've started doing my exposés, suddenly people that are were, were saying that, for example, on the 16th of July, a rhino was killed in Mfalozi. Uh The poachers said that they were working for Guala. Um, this is this alleged kingpin that um, there's a bit of a saga going on between me and him and this is the Guala syndicate. And they are sitting in jail right now without any bail. It's becoming more difficult now for poachers to, to always just get off with the fine and get bail. So things are improving. Um, but well, we that, have to That's good news. So what we need to do, and once again, this addresses the donor community and what we can do. And we addressed this earlier in the program. Lorinda, you had said in hiring and uh, maintaining and, and um, having forces such as Damien's troops and that kind of trained ranger is expensive. So how can, as an international community and as a South African community and the communities who live with Rhino, um, I understand the South African population is very geared toward keeping their Rhino. That's our common ground. We all want Rhino around except, of course, well, even the kingpins, so that they can continue to trade in horn. So how do we equalize the playing field that forces and resources such as Damien has to offer become available to people such as Lorinda and that can be tied together so that Jamie's work becomes a bit easier in terms of creating better law enforcement? Well, it's simple. Damien must just stop being so expensive. And then I'm, 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 I'm,
course. You just you just drop your you prices and then the most of us can, can get some assistance. No, okay, obviously I'm, I'm being facetious. Okay, no, seriously, what 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 most of us can do, absolutely, South Africans are all, all desperate to help solve the problem. Unfortunately, all of that enthusiasm isn't necessarily channeled into the areas where they might be most effective. I think Damien alluded to it earlier that, um, and Jamie said the same thing, we've got all of these funds going down this bottomless pit because people are so desperate to help and yet uh, they're not actually seeing that uh, that the poaching is, is being curbed at all. So there's there's definitely a need to channel more of those funds, to channel more of that passion into the right directions and, and possibly for the international community to, to actually start shaming the South African government into doing the right thing by the animals and not just doing the right thing by their financial bottom line. And that means that people like Jamie and people like Damien um, need need greater support. There, there is funding available. It's just not, no one can actually tell exactly where it's going. All we know is that it's not resulting in fewer rhinos getting poached. And that's that's the main problem. People are getting, donors are getting fatigued. Um, hearing about the rhino poaching crisis, you know, five or, or six years ago, it hit the front pages every time an animal was poached. Now you're, you're lucky if it makes the papers at all. Um, and that's how desensitized people have become to, to the problem. So it's up to the global community to realize that it's not just a South African or, or an African problem. It's a global problem. The same syndicates that are involved in the poaching of rhinos and the smuggling of horns are involved in smuggling of drugs, illegal cigarettes, human trafficking. It's crime syndicates that uh, that are really just expanding their businesses into different fields. And we need the international community to create pressure on the consumer countries. Absolutely, why yeah. is why doesn't the United States use the Pelly Amendment against countries like Vietnam, the World Wildlife Fund has actually called for sanctions against them. What is happening about it? Their, their law enforcement is terrible. Okay, they're telling us that they're starting to they're starting to work with their border controls because this, the, the horn is coming into Vietnam, but it's also flowing out to uh, Cambodia, to Laos, and lots and lots of Chinese customers. So, can I Can I add something here? If they could just arrest um, a Chinese or a Vietnamese consumer, that a will go... One. A rich somebody like a, somebody in a high political position or, you know, a wealthy businessman, that will make a statement because I think a lot of people are oblivious to the fact that, one, these... these not a lot more, I don't know how, how, what percentage, but some people are oblivious to the fact that these animals are being butchered. And, you know, it's like they almost don't see it as an illegal thing. So, like, well, that's similar to the story with elephant. You know, the story is, oh, we didn't know an elephant had to die to get this ivory. Wearing thin now, but, um, you know, they need to arrest somebody. It's crazy that you've got this this many animals dying and and these many horns being, you know, exported to these countries and nobody gets arrested. But we were at a presentation last night about the news that doesn't get into the news. And the, it, it, it really appears as if there is a, a move, there is a banking to extinction. There are wealthy Chinese people that are actually stockpiling rhino horn and banking to extinction. And these guys who gave the presentation said to us that the message has gone out, slaughter every single rhino. It's going to make our stockpiles worth so much more. 
So basically, we just have to remove the benchmark of cash value on a horn and somehow come together and put the cash value on the live rhino, which is basically what conservation and the new conservation models have to be about. And it sounds well, like what we're trying to do here. Can I just add something? If we lose in South Africa, if we lose the rhino, the only reason why we, we're not getting hit hard yet, yet on elephant poaching is because we still have rhinos. So if you look at Kenya, Tanzania, you know, they're getting, you know, they have, they've had their elephants decimated, but they don't have as many rhinos. So if we lose the rhinos, the elephants are next. And what's going to happen is tourism economies will start to collapse. It's going to cause more poverty and more conflict. So these animal issues are, in fact, human issues, and we need to deal with it in this way. And then, you know, it's not really about whether you love the rhino or not. Like, then it becomes an economic value. So it's like, look after your investment. You can't expect everyone, you know, obviously we all love the rhino, but you can't expect the rest of the world to love the rhino. Eddie, I want to say another thing with the presentation of Dr. Johan Marie of Saving the Survivors pointed out to us last year, 25 elephants were killed in South Africa. This year, it's almost close to 50. So it's already doubled from last year. And he says that's exactly the same way as what the rhino poaching started. A small number and the next year a little bit more and a little bit more. It's got to, it, before we have an avalanche on our elephants, it's the entire poaching scenario that has to be tackled. And the best, as far as local is concerned, the boots on the ground, the dogs on the ground, this is what works. But the communities have to be involved in this as well. And it's the development of the communities which is not happening. And this is not just uh, the communities that are around the reserves. We have a major problem of people throughout the country in all spheres where it's not there's no development. To a, to, a, to a certain extent, there's a there's a level of apathy, and I think there's a, a level of people shirking responsibility, thinking that someone else is going to solve the problem, and and that, for me personally, is is my fear that one day if we have to explain to future generations what were you doing while rhinos went extinct, I would have to say to them, I I did nothing. I thought someone else was solving the problem. We don't have that luxury. We are the generation that's that's. Uh, that's in charge of having to solve this problem because to a large extent, we're the generation that created it. Well, you, you, you speak the truth there, and that's what this program, Our Wild World, is all about. And the fact that we have reached the tipping point, the human expansion, the human overpopulation, spreading into the places where wildness lives and, and the umbrella, as Damien was talking about. If we can save the rhino, then we have shown that it can be done, and it's the umbrella, the keystone, the apex that covers the entire ecosystem that the rhino supports and supports the rhino. And it works the same for elephant. It works the same for lion. It works the same for every species on down the line. So that's what we're at right here at CITES, deciding what kind of trade will be in these quote-unquote, endangered species. And you're all speaking to the point that trade in endangered species should be stopped. So when is the decision on rhino horn trade going to be made? We think it's on Monday. Well, the discussions are definitely on Monday. It's all been extended to Monday, the elephants and the rhino. I can tell you now, Ellie, just from the, the, the feeling that you get here from a lot of the, a lot of the people... Um, you know, the people that have uh, a majority of the votes or countries that have some of the largest influence here, it's, 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 
it's not going to be something that will even come close to consideration, I don't believe. No. Uh, and you know what? I don't have a crystal ball to say whether that's for better or worse. I don't like the the idea that we have to even consider trading in something in, in uh, such as a rhino horn, but I, I also hate the idea that we have to sit here and discuss a possible discussion, uh, uh, extinction of um, rhinos in the wild. And uh, it, it, it's a worry, hey. And that comes back to maybe, maybe a policy change is the answer. Maybe demand reduction is, is the answer. Maybe getting the, the two billion people that are going to be on this continent shortly uh, to a point where they don't need to poach. Maybe that's an answer. But you know what? I don't, have, I don't, I don't have the recipe for, for, for those, uh, those type of things. Oh, I think that we should have an international court in the, in the Hague, which actually goes in a place like the Hague, which actually goes and prosecutes these wildlife crimes, that we should have an international court, which we do not have, for wildlife. And this has been a point that has, been, that has come up many, many times over the past five years, that CITES is focused on trade, and we need a sister, brother, separate, transparent organization that is focused on conservation. So what I'm thinking is perhaps we can all reconvene and continue this conversation for our listeners so that we can get some sort of consensus of what we as donors and the international community can do and discuss more of what the problems are and what we found at CITES and perhaps some solutions. I think it's just important for us to, to, to make the point in a perfect world, we could all offer you a perfect solution, but sadly we don't live in a perfect world. And, and ultimately what it, what it comes down to is that, uh, that there needs to be greater collaboration within the industry to, to have a, a, a ripple effect outside the, the industry. This is, this is the one shot that we have. Rhinos, there's only, there are only so many of them left. They can't afford for us to cock this up. So, folks, you just heard it. We have one shot left. If we don't protect the rhino now and save the rhino now, then we have made a game changer for the entire planet and how we deal and protect with wildlife. So as you can see, this is a very hot topic. There's a lot to be discussed around this, and hopefully we will find some sort of solutions to this issue. But what you can do, folks, is speak up, use your social media, use your voice to talk about saving the rhino. And unfortunately, we're out of time today. Thank you, Lorinda, Lorraine, Jamie, and Damien. Thanks, Ellie. Thank you. Thanks very much, Eddie. You're welcome. And um, let's pick this conversation up at another time. And meanwhile, this is Ellie Weiss reporting to you live from South Africa at the CITES Convention and Our Wild World. Thank you again for joining us this week. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of Our Wild World with your host, Ellie Weiss, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think about living with wildlife during the coming week and what you can do right now. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.